Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. The Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on a shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcast at home is quite easy. You just need a shortwave radio with the schedule of English language broadcast or a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's outfarpress.com, you can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, France 24, NHK Japan, and Radio Havana Cuba. We will begin with Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. In Europe, public opinion about the war in Ukraine showed that only 1 in 10 believed that Ukraine can win the war with Russia, and 41% want Europe to pressure Ukraine to negotiate with Russia. For the third time, the U.S. vetoed a U.N. Security Council resolution demanding a ceasefire in Gaza. Recent figures from the Committee to Protect Journalists found that 83 Palestinian journalists have been killed since October 7th. Jody Ginsburg explains that this is the most journalists killed in any war over the past 30 years and that none of these journalists were militants. Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. Two years into Russia's war on Ukraine and public opinion regarding the conflict here in Europe does not translate into a message of optimism. In fact, the majority of Europeans are pessimistic about a Ukrainian victory. A survey by the European Council on Foreign Relations says only one in 10 think Ukraine can win. 20% believe Russia will win. The Berlin-based think tank says that 41% of respondents want Europe to pressure Ukraine to negotiate with Russia. 17,000 people in 12 European countries took part in this survey. U.S. has vetoed an Arab-backed resolution in the U.N. Security Council demanding a ceasefire in the war between Israel and Hamas, which is labeled a terrorist organization in many countries. China and even U.S. ally France criticized Washington for blocking the resolution a third time. The U.K. abstained in the vote, while 13 voted in favor. The U.S. instead proposed its own plan. The uh, new American draft resolution calls for a temporary ceasefire linked to the release of hostages held by Hamas. Here's what China's ambassador had to say about Washington's veto. It was the veto exercised by the United States that stifled council consensus. The U.S. veto sent the wrong message, pushing the situation in Gaza into more dangerous territory. We're to the Middle East now, where the devastating war between Israel and Hamas in Gaza means persistent dangers for journalists who are trying to cover the conflict. Recent figures from the Committee to Protect Journalists show Palestinian journalists made up the majority of all reporters killed worldwide in the past year. Now, since Hamas's October 7th terror attacks, 83 Palestinian journalists and two Israeli journalists have been killed in the conflict within Gaza. It's now almost exclusively Palestinians reporting on the war 
on the ground. Israel has refused to let foreign journalists in to report independently there. All those reporting from within Gaza are doing so under extremely difficult conditions. Well, for more now, I'm joined by Jody Ginsburg. She's the CEO of the Committee to Protect Journalists and joins me from New York. Jody, it's good to have you with us. Let's talk about this conflict. This conflict is just, what, three months old. Um, and in terms of being dangerous to journalists, how does it compare to other conflicts where journalists have tried to get to the truth? This is the deadliest conflict for journalists that the Committee to Protect Journalists has ever documented. We've been doing this work for more than 30 years. More journalists died in the first 10 weeks of the Israel-Gaza war than have ever died, uh, certainly since we've been doing this work, in uh, a single country over an entire year. The intensity, the numbers is absolutely unprecedented. Your organization, we know, investigates the deaths of journalists in Gaza. What do you say to the allegations that are coming from Israel that some of these journalists are, are, are militants? I mean, do you, believe that, do you believe that they've actually been targeted by Israeli forces? Well, we have yet to see any credible evidence that the journalists that the Israelis have said are actually militants, are actually terrorists, are such. Last year, before this war started, the Committee to Protect Journalists report, re, produced a report called Deadly Pattern, which looked at the killings of largely Palestinian journalists by Israeli forces over the past 22 years. And we found that 20 journalists had been killed and in not a single case had anyone been held accountable. And what we saw, in fact, was a pattern in which quite often Israel was accused journalists of being terrorists of being militants, but never produce any evidence. And that remains the case in this war, too. Jody Ginsburg with the Committee to Protect Journalists. Those reports were from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, which may be heard at a combined audio-video website, DW.com, as well as on YouTube at their channels called DW News and DW Documentary. Also available at most podcast sites, as is the shortwave report. Next, France 24. There have been two days of hearings in London on a request for an appeal on the extradition of Julian Assange to the United States for espionage. There were large demonstrations, and Julian's wife Stella spoke to crowds about the precedents that will be set allowing the criminalization of the free press. The U.S. veto against the ceasefire in Gaza has left the U.S. isolated for the third time, France 24. Braving the London drizzle, crowds of supporters demand freedom for Julian Assange on the final day of a crucial hearing. Some protesters had travelled from other parts of the UK and others had even come from abroad as the WikiLeaks founder made a last-ditch bid to appeal extradition to the US. It will be a crime if he is sent to the United States. That would be a crime for which our government in the UK is responsible. A journalist who exposes war crimes is criminalised himself and it's just beyond outrageous and if we don't... If we if we tolerate this, it's, this is the slippery road to, to a crushing of, of all dissent. 
Assange faces espionage charges in the U.S. over his website's publication of a trove of classified U.S. documents nearly 15 years ago, which concerned the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. The 52-year-old, who spent the last five years in a high-security prison, was, according to his family, too unwell to attend the two-day session. On Wednesday, attorneys for the U.S. said Assange put innocent lives at risk and went beyond journalism in his bid to solicit, steal and indiscriminately publish the documents. What they're trying to argue is that state secrets trump revealing state crimes. They want impunity, they don't want to be uh, scrutinized and journalism stands in the way. The judges overseeing the case reserved their decision and rulings not expected until March at the earliest. If Assange wins the case, a full appeal hearing will be held. If he loses, his only remaining option would be at the European Court of Human Rights. But supporters worry he could be sent to the US before that happens because the British government has already signed an extradition order. Now today, lawyers for the US government are setting out their case in the court. And before proceedings got underway, our reporter, Benedict Pavio, spoke to the wife of Julian Assange, Stella Assange, outside of the court. She told us why she believes the case is about more than the WikiLeaks founder himself. The attack on Julian is a, the gravest attack that the world has ever seen against the free press. Uh, it is extraterritorial. It's brought by a single state. Uh, applying its laws to the rest of the world, to a foreign national who was, who was publishing in a different country. Uh, so basically it's a declaration of universal jurisdiction over the press, where one country uh, claims that it has the power to restrict not just journalists' ability to do their work, but the public's right to know all over the world. Assange has been held in Belmarsh Prison for almost five years. He was too unwell to attend the hearing this Tuesday, but his wife, Stella Assange, has been speaking outside the court. There is no possibility of a fair trial if Julian is extradited to the United States. He should never be extradited to the United States. He would never be safe. The United States plotted to murder my husband. He's being accused of journalism. This case is an admission by the United States that they now criminalize investigative journalism. It's an attack on all journalists all over the world. It's an attack on the truth and it's an attack on the public's right to know. Julian is a political prisoner and his life is at risk. What happened to Navalny can happen to Julian. He has to be released. This farce has to end. Julian Assange's wife, Stella, talking there to reporters. Jessica Lemazurier, who joins us from the UN headquarters in New York. Uh, Jess, just tell us what happened there at the UN Security Council and what reasons uh, the United States gave for its third veto of a resolution. Well, we saw Linda Thomas-Greenfield raise her hand to veto this resolution on behalf of the United States. And we saw quite how isolated the US is looking on the world stage uh, because the only uh, country to, uh, you might say, uh, back up the US was the United Kingdom, which abstained. We also heard some very strong words from the Russian ambassador and the Chinese ambassador. The Russian ambassador said, look, now we have almost 30,000 Palestinians uh, dead uh, and uh, 
time is really of the essence. If uh, the Security Council had passed the resolution that Russia put forward uh, shortly after the start of the war, when only 1,000 Palestinians were dead, then all of those thousands of lives could have been saved, he said. And the Chinese ambassador also expressed his strong disappointment at the fact that this text did not pass. Uh, and uh, he uh, said uh, that really uh, this was giving a green light to the continued slaughter. Now, I must point out that the United States has prepared its own resolution, a rival resolution, and for the first time it includes the word ceasefire. But uh, I must emphasise that it does not call for an immediate ceasefire. It calls for the conditions to be right beforehand. And at the moment, uh, this text is still in circulation. It needs to be negotiated and it's not clear if or when it would come to a vote. Those reports were from France 24. France 24 may be easily found at their website, france24.com, as well as a YouTube channel called France 24 English. They are also available at most podcast sites. On to NHK World Radio Japan. At the Fukushima nuclear power plant, there have been more serious radioactive leaks to workers and the environment. Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu says he is committed to continuing the war until Hamas is completely eliminated, leading to more protests by Israeli citizens. Brazilian President Lula da Silva compared Israeli actions to the Nazi regime. NHK Japan Japan's industry minister has instructed the operator of the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear plant to take thorough measures to ensure safety following a series of problems at the facility. Water containing radioactive substances leaked from the vent of a filtering device at the plant earlier this month. In October, workers were directly exposed to liquid-containing radioactive materials when they were cleaning pipes. Tokyo Electric Power Company President Kobayaka Tomoaki met with the minister Wednesday. We apologize for causing great concern. The two cases should not have happened from the viewpoint of ensuring safety for workers and the environment. As president, I take this extremely seriously. We urge you to take this management issue seriously and take thorough safety measures. Saito urged the utility to conduct an analysis to determine whether these incidents had anything in common. He also called for the use of digital technology to prevent human errors. Kobayaka told reporters after the meeting he would take Saito's instructions on board and his firm and outside experts will study effective measures to prevent errors without human intervention. We turn now to the Gaza Strip, where Hamas is calling for a complete ceasefire in negotiations with Israel that are being mediated by other countries. But Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has reiterated his stance against the proposal. Netanyahu visited a military facility Tuesday and spoke to soldiers. He said there's mounting pressure on Israel at home and abroad to stop the war. We are committed to continuing the war until we achieve all our goals, eliminating Hamas, securing the release of all hostages, and ensuring that Hamas never again poses a threat to Israel. No amount of pressure can change this. Netanyahu said Israel wants to secure the release of hostages held by Hamas. But he added his country is not prepared to pay what he called the delusional price Hamas demands. There's been growing criticism of Netanyahu in Israel as negotiations have stalled. 
Families of the hostages held a rally Tuesday to call for the release of their loved ones. They know it's possible, and I want my father here with us. Meanwhile, the humanitarian crisis in Gaza is deepening as Israeli forces continue intense attacks. The United Nations Children's Fund says 64% of households in the Gaza Strip are eating only one meal a day. A doctor in the southern city of Rafa says 40 to 50% of the children there may be suffering from infectious diseases such as hepatitis A and pneumonia. Israel appears poised to launch a ground offensive in Rafa. Nearly one and a half million people, including evacuees, are living there. Israeli forces continue airstrikes in southern Gaza and appear poised to launch a ground assault there, claiming the area is home to the last remaining Hamas stronghold. Concerns are growing over the possibility of more civilian casualties. Palestinian media on Wednesday reported deaths and injuries resulting from air raids in Rafah. One resident said there's no safe place in the area. Nearly 1.5 million people now, now live in the region. Many of them fled to the area to escape attacks in northern and central parts of the Gaza Strip. Israeli forces urge residents there to evacuate south after fighting broke out last October. Health authorities in Gaza say nearly 30,000 people have died in the enclave. Negotiations between Israel and Hamas on a possible ceasefire and the release of Israeli hostages held by the Islamic group are stalled. But a member of Israel's war cabinet said there are signs of progress. There are ongoing attempts to promote a new deal, and there are early signs of possible progress. We will not stop looking for a way and we will not miss any opportunity to bring our girls and boys home. But Gantz also said if a deal is not reached, the military operation will continue during Ramadan. The Muslim month of fasting begins around March 10th this year. Brazilian President Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva openly criticized Israel on Sunday, comparing its military operation to Germany's Nazi regime. It's a genocide. It's not a war between soldiers and soldiers. It's a war between a highly trained army and women and children. Netanyahu shot back, accusing the Brazilian president of discriminating against the Jewish people. President Silva has disgraced the memory of six million Jews murdered by the Nazis and he's demonized the Jewish state like the most virulent anti-Semite. He should be ashamed of himself. Those reports were from NHK World Radio Japan on shortwave. They are heard at 9 p.m. at 13735 or on the web at www.nhk.or.jp. All the times I announce are for Pacific Standard Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or could help support this listener-funded program, like a longtime supporter in Lower Lake California did this week, my PayPal contact information is available at my website, outfarpress.com, or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California, 95490. 
Your support helps the weekly production and distribution of this show, which is supplied without cost to more than 100 radio stations around the world. We will conclude with Radio Havana, Cuba. Brazil has said it will not retract Lua de Silva's statements comparing the Israeli attacks to the Holocaust. At the International Court of Justice, an American lawyer spoke out against the history of Israel occupying Palestinian territory. An Israeli politician said on television that the Palestinians over the age of four to force them to dislike Hamas. A United Nations human rights official says that they have received information that Palestinian women and children have been arbitrarily executed in Gaza. The Irish foreign minister says that the veto power of the United Nations Security Council has no place in the 21st century, as the U.S. has done three times to prevent an immediate ceasefire in Gaza. Radio Havana, Cuba. Brazil has said that it won't be retracting comments made by President Luis Ignacio Lula da Silva drawing parallels between Israel's war on Gaza and the Holocaust despite an ongoing diplomatic fallout, the Reuters news agency reports, citing anonymous sources. In the ensuing fallout, Brazil summoned Israel's ambassador to Brazil for talks. And Brazil's foreign ministry has also recalled its ambassador to Israel following an announcement by Tel Aviv that Lula would be persona non grata until he retracted his comments. An attorney representing Palestine at the United Nations highest court called out the U.S. on Monday for defending Israel's violations of international law, including its brutal 57-year occupation of Gaza, the West Bank, and East Jerusalem. Paul Richler, an American lawyer who has a record of success at the International Court of Justice, said during a historic hearing on Israel's occupation of Palestinian territory, that the U.S. is nearly alone in attempting to provide legal cover for the Israeli government's actions over the past six decades. The two outsiders among nations that have intervened the International Court of Justice case on Israel's occupation are Fiji and the United States, said Richler. In its written submission to the International Court of Justice, Richler noted that the U.S. argues that belligerent occupation is governed exclusively by international humanitarian law and not by the United Nations Charter or general international law. Richler's presentation followed remarks by Palestinian Foreign Minister Rijad al-Maliki, who said that the genocide underway in Gaza is a result of decades of impunity and inaction in the face of Israel's illegal occupation and seizure of Palestinian land. Monday's presentations kicked off a week of public International Court of Justice hearings examining the legality of Israel's occupation of Palestinian territory. The U.S. is set to deliver its arguments in the case on Wednesday, in which Israel will not be participating. The proceedings began less than a month after the International Court of Justice handed down interim ruling ordering the Israeli government to prevent genocidal acts in Gaza, a decision that Israel has repeatedly floated as it continues committing atrocities in the enclave and targets the severely overcrowded city of Rafah. Israeli forces have killed more than 29,000 people in Gaza since October 7. Premier Mossad official Rami Ira has said all Palestinians in Gaza over the age of four deserve to face Israel's collective punishment policy of withholding food and humanitarian aid. 
Tigra said in an interview broadcast on Israeli television on Tuesday that the goal is to force Palestinians to dislike the resistance movement Hamas. Agra's comments other Israeli officials' remarks that dehumanize Palestinians and normalize violence against them in Gaza and the West Bank. Israeli President Isaac Herzog recently claimed that there are no uninvolved civilians in Gaza to justify the genocide happening in that territory. United Nations experts have expressed alarm over allegations of human rights violations against Palestinian women and girls in Gaza in the occupied West Bank since Israel launched its genocidal war of aggression on Gaza on October 7. The United Nations Office of the High Commissioner for Human Rights said in a statement on Monday that it had received information that Palestinian women and girls have reportedly been arbitrarily executed in Gaza, often together with family members, including their children. The United Nations experts said they were shocked by reports of the deliberate targeting and extrajudicial killing of Palestinian women and children in places where they sought refuge or while fleeing. Some of them were reportedly holding white pieces of gold when they were killed by the Israeli army or affiliated forces. United Nations experts expressed alarm over the arbitrary detention of hundreds of Palestinians, women and girls, including human rights defenders, journalists and humanitarian workers in Gaza and the West Bank, had reportedly gone missing after contact with the Israeli army in Gaza, the experts said. They call for an independent, impartial, and effective investigation into the allegations and for Israel to cooperate. The Irish Foreign Minister has censored the dysfunctional United Nations Security Council, saying the five-state veto power at the Council has no place in the 21st century. Michael Martin said at the Munich Security Conference in Germany on Saturday that the veto is an anachronism that should go referring to the United States using its veto power on several occasions to block a ceasefire in the Gaza Strip. It has no place in the 21st century. It really hasn't. We really have to keep the pressure on that, Martin said. The five-state veto power enables the five permanent members of the Council, namely the United States, the United Kingdom, China, France, and the Russian Federation, to veto any disliked resolution. We are in no doubt that the Security Council is dysfunctional, Martin added, criticizing the dysfunctionality and the abuse of the veto situation at the Security Council. He slammed the resolutions on the situation in Gaza as weak. There's been more veto than action in the Security Council in Gaza. For example, Israel has so far killed close to 29,000 Palestinians in the war, which began in the besieged territory on October 7, with thousands more bodies feared lost amid the ruins. The United States, on December 8, used its veto power in the United Nations against an anti-Israeli resolution backed by almost all other Security Council members and dozens of other nations demanding an immediate humanitarian ceasefire in Gaza. Before that, the U.S. had already vetoed a Brazilian United Nations Security Council's resolution calling for a ceasefire to facilitate humanitarian aid deliveries to the besieged Gaza Strip. The U.S. pledged on Saturday to veto a new draft resolution put forward by Algeria, which seeks an immediate humanitarian ceasefire in Gaza.
Those reports were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at radio8c.cu, though there are no podcasts. On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15140, and from 5 p.m. to 11 at either 606060 or 6165. At their website, radio8c.cu, you can stream the English version at noon, Monday through Friday, Pacific Standard Time. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people like you to listen to international broadcasts, get a global perspective. You will have to look harder these days because of U.S. and E.U. prohibitions on media. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's outfarpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows, find information for online support. There's a link at my website along with the podcast link and get advice for listening at home. This shortwave report, which is now in its 27th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. For 26 years, the shortwave report has been produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. While I am recuperating from spinal surgery, I am staying in a house that is connected to the grid. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.